and he threw the manuscript in the waste paper basket. His wife tried to salvage the manuscript, but he told her sternly, we've wasted enough time on it. I forbid you to remove it from the waste basket. Undeterred, she decided to show it to one more publisher. When she arrived at that publisher's office, she pulled out the most unusual-looking proposal that the publisher had ever seen. Underneath the wrapping of brown paper was a waste paper basket still holding the writer's manuscript. This way, she reasoned, she was not going against her husband's wishes. She did not remove the manuscript from the wastebasket. The publisher did it for her. And when he read it, he loved it. The writer in this story is Norman Vincent Peale. The manuscript was the power of positive thinking and went on to sell 30 million copies. Now, here's my question, okay? Power of positive thinking, right? I'm going to do it, you know, and... Why did he throw it away? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what positive thinking is there in that? Of course, you know, several publishers turn you down, I guess. I don't, I've never written a book. Not yet. I'm writing one. Maybe. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. But anyway, anyway this morning, we're going to talk about persistence. Peel's wife was not about to give up on her husband, not about to give up on his dream. She was persistent, and she did not give up. And I believe that we, as Christians, sometimes give up too easily on prayer. Uh, we pray for something once or twice, and it, one, it doesn't happen the way that we think it should, uh, or uh, we don't happen, it doesn't happen when we think it should, we give up. Perhaps you prayed for something this week, and the answer hasn't come yet, but you've already given up on prayer. Well, we're going to talk about persistence in prayer this morning as we look at the, a passage of Scripture. We're going to focus on three questions that Jesus asked at the end of Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to see what it takes to become persistent prayers. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. If you have a Bible and would be so kind as to be willing to turn there to Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. The editor has added the title, The Parable of the Persistent Widow. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the second parable that Jesus tells in the book of Luke that has to do with persistence in prayer. The first is in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. In that story, a man goes to his neighbor at midnight and asks for three loaves of bread because he has a friend who has come in from out of town and he has nothing to feed him. The neighbor says, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Jesus said that, that the man inside will not give the man outside anything just because he is his friend. But the boldness and the persistence of the man outside in his keep on, and keeping on asking, uh, and uh, he will cause the man inside to give up and get up and give him what he needs. Jesus then said this about prayer: Ask and it will be given to you; seek and you will find; knock and the door will be opened to you. Now, in the passage that I just read from Luke eighteen one through eight, 
uh, we find a similar situation. A widow has an adversary. Someone was oppressing her. It could have been that someone was threatening uh, to take her land because of a debt she owed. She went to a judge in order to ask for protection and justice. In those days, widows were the most vulnerable members of that society. They had no husband to provide for them or to take care of them or to protect them. This judge that she went to was not a very kind judge. Judges in those days were supposed to fear God, but this judge did not. They were to uphold the cause of the downtrodden and the oppressed. This judge, according to Jesus, didn't even care about people or men. This widow comes and pleads for justice, not just once, but over and over and over again. She is a very persistent widow, in persistent in pleading for justice against her adversary. The judge refuses to grant her justice, so she just keeps coming to the judge, and she keeps asking for justice over and over and over again. The judge finally says, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. He gets exasperated. He gets tired of this widow. He doesn't care about her. He doesn't care about her cause. He's just sick and tired of hearing from her over and over and over again. She was badgering him, and he finally relented and gave in and gave her what she wanted. Now, there was a guy uh, named George Mueller, and uh, the diary that he wrote, uh, he, he chronicles his devotion in prayer. And Listen to this. It says, In November of 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, or whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thank God and prayed on for the others. That's 18 months. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thank God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them. And six years passed before the third was converted. So it's 18 months, five years, six months, six years. So it's, uh, what, 12 and a half years? I thank God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. Thirty-six years. Years later, he wrote that the other two, sons of one of Mueller's friends, were still not converted. He wrote, but I hope in God. I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. In 1897, 52 years after he began to pray, these two men were finally converted after Mueller died. Mueller understood what Jesus meant when he told his disciples that they should always pray and not give up. 52 years once Jesus uh, finished telling the parable of the persistent widow, he went on to ask three questions. And we're going to focus on those three questions for the balance of our time this morning. First question Jesus, Jesus asked was, will not God bring about justice? God is a God of justice. Psalm 140 verse 12 says, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. God cares about those who are oppressed. He cares about those who are downtrodden. There's one thing that we must realize about this parable that Jesus told. And this is so important because we hear the parable that Jesus tells, right? And we think, man, this judge is kind of a jerk. I mean, you got this poor widow, and there's no one to protect her, no one to take care of her. And he doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about men. And, and she comes to him over and over and over again. Somebody is really, you know, putting her through it. And the judge won't do anything about it. He's really kind of a jerk. God is nothing like this judge. God is not like this judge in this parable. He cares about human beings. He cares for you. He cares for me. He loves us, and he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. 
When we were oppressed by Satan, when we were oppressed by sin, God saw our deepest need, the need for a Savior. And he sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven by accepting him as our Lord and Savior. This is the same God who answers the prayers of his people. If Jesus is loving enough to die for us, okay, on, on my, uh, in my Tuesday night uh, theology Bible study, we've been talking about the divinity of Jesus and how Jesus is really, is, is actually God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And not only did Jesus, uh, he, he, when he died, uh, it, how do I describe this? God was crucified. Jesus being God was crucified. Jesus, as God, suffered the penalty uh, of his own wrath. That Jesus took our place. God heaped all the sins of the world on him. And he took our place when he suffered and he died. If Jesus, if God is loving enough to die for us, won't he answer our prayers as well? As the days grow darker and more evil, Christians will face increased persecution. All over the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering for their faith. They're suffering injustice and oppression. In North Korea, there are an estimated 200,000 political prisoners in labor camps who are starved, tortured, and used as guinea pigs for biological experiments. Many Christians of North Korea are imprisoned in these camps and treated with more brutality than other prisoners. Today, just today, 833 Christians will go home to be with Jesus as a result of persecution. 833 Christians, an average of 833 Christians are killed on a daily basis because of their faith. In China, a Christian woman was tortured in one room while her son was tortured in the next room so they could hear each other's cries and screams. Two-thirds of all the Christian martyrs in history were killed in the 20th century. Two-thirds of all the martyrs in history were killed in the last hundred years. An average of 160,000 Christians have been killed every year since 1990. 160,000 Christians every year over the last 18 years. Persecution is getting worse all over the world, especially in predominantly Islamic countries. These people cry out for justice, and God hears their cries. God has said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says Romans 12:20. Those who murder and torture the saints will receive justice for their crimes against God's people. And I believe that this is true because God is a God of justice. Jesus' second question lets us know that God will answer prayers, and not just the prayers of those being persecuted, but he will answer all of the prayers of his people. The second question Jesus asks is, will he keep putting them off? See, God is not just a God of justice. God is also a God of compassion. Jesus told his, par his parable so his disciples would pray and not give up. The judge had to be pestered over and over and over again before he answered the cries of the widow. This is not the case with God. He does not have to be pestered in prayer. You may be thinking then, why doesn't he answer my prayer? I have prayed for this person or this situation for days, weeks, months, even years, and there's no answer. What is taking God so long? If God is a God of compassion, what is taking him so long? In a sermon on prayer, Bill Hybels of Willow Creek Church in suburban Chicago said there are four answers to prayer. First, if the request is wrong, God will say no. Second, if the timing is wrong, God will say slow. In other words, wait. Bob Russell in his great book called When God Answers Prayer tells the story of a letter he received. He says, one person who wrote to me, tells me about, uh, to tell me about a prayer God had answered after 28 years of persistence. And she concluded her letter 
God does answer prayer, and he knows when the time is right. God does answer prayer, and he knows when the time is right. Third, Bill Hybel says if we are wrong, God will say grow. This means that we have to grow and mature in our faith in order to better understand God's will and to pray for the right things and to pray with the right attitudes. Finally, when the timing is right, God will say, let's go. And I believe that what Hybels is saying is that the answers to our prayers depend on God. They don't depend on us. Our answers to our prayers depend on God, not on us. They depend on his power, his strength, his wisdom, his will. God knows what is best. Like I said last week, he will always do what is best for his people, and, for, and he will always do what is best for his kingdom. We have to learn to trust him more, rely on his goodness and grace. And remember, just because the answer today is no does not mean that the answer tomorrow will be no. We have to keep on asking. We have to keep on praying. We must continue to be persistent in prayer. We cannot give up just because the answer is no, slow, or grow. We cannot be like little children who pout when they don't get their way. Well, God didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to, so I'm going to take my toys and go home. Jesus' parable is about always praying and not giving up on prayer, not giving up. Remember, God is not like the unjust judge, and he is the one who gives good gifts to his children. The Greek word for compassion is one of my favorite Greek words. It's the word splachna. Can you say that with me? Splachna. You got to get it way back in the throat. Splachna. You know what it literally means? It literally means intestines. That's kind of gross, ain't it? God is a God of splachna. He is a God of intestines. Sean, what in the world does that mean? Have you ever, have you ever loved somebody or someone so much that it hurt? And, and where does it hurt? It hurts right here, right? And when you care about someone so much, that's how I feel about, about my little guy. That's how I feel about Jonathan. I just love him so much that sometimes it hurts. When he hurts, I hurt. And it hurts right here. Right now it hurts right here because last night he stayed and here and here and here because he was up all night in my bed kicking me. But uh, it hurts in a different way. But... Uh, I love him so much that it hurts. And that is the kind of love that God has for us. That when he says that he is a God of splachna, a God of compassion, literally means that it hurts. He loves us so much. That's the kind of love he has for us. It's this compassionate love that, that a father has for his children. That a friend has for a, a dearly loved best friend. He's got this compassionate love for us. That when we hurt, he hurts for us. God is not like the unjust judge. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, I read this last week, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God will take care of us. God will provide. He will lovingly give good gifts to his people. God is not this great big ogre in the sky who was out to get us. And a lot of people have that image of God. We have that Greek God image of God. We have that Zeus image of God that God is up there like the far side cartoon with the smite button that he's just waiting to smite each one of us. Ooh, I'm going to get that Sean today. He's been, he's been not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He hasn't been doing what he should be doing. I'm going to smite him good. 
That's not how God is. He's not up there with lightning bolts waiting to just throw them down on you. That's not God. How many times do we have that image of him, though, that God is this angry, wrathful, vengeful God out to get us? That's not God. God is a God of compassion. God is a God of splachna. He compassionately loves his people. God is the very definition of love. 1 John 4 will tell you all about God's love, that he is this amazing God of love, that he is the very definition of love. And right now, where you're sitting, God loves you more than I could ever describe. He loves you so very much. He cares about you, the needs in your life, the, the what you are going through, the hurts, the pain, the disease, the illness, the sickness, the heartache. God knows about it. He sees it. He loves you in the midst of it compassionately if only we could grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge as ephesians 3 18 and 19 says always remember that god loves you and he will answer your prayers according to his love and his purpose and his perfect will the third question jesus asks is will he find faith on the earth jesus is going to return and when he does Will he find faith on the earth? In other words, will Jesus find faithful followers when he returns? Will there be faithful prayers when he returns? Or will his people have given up on him? Will his people have given up on prayer? Remember to whom this parable is directed. Jesus was talking to his disciples. These were Jesus' closest friends and followers. He wanted to make sure, he wanted to make it clear to them that they would be tempted to give up on prayer when the answers they, that they wanted didn't come their way. They were to remain faithful in prayer and faithful to Christ. And the same thing goes for us. If persecution were to break out in America, God forbid, but if, if persecution were to break out in America, would we give up on Christ? Would our faith crack and crumble under the pressure because it seemed like our cries fell on deaf ears? Or would we stand firm for Jesus? Would we stand firm? Could we, could we stand the pressure of persecution? I'm afraid that the worst would happen and that many would desert Christ. We are so used to getting whatever we want that we, many would abandon Jesus if it seemed like our prayers were going unanswered. Perhaps you've heard stories of people who say that they have prayed for something and when they didn't get what they wanted, they gave up on God. Back in 2003, I've told you before, back in 2003, I had a, an illness and uh, I had uh, inflammation on my stomach lining. It was, it's called gastritis. And uh, I had gastritis for two months. The doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. They ran every test they could possibly think of. They thought I might have hepatitis. They thought all kinds of different things. They had no idea what was going on. They had no idea why I was sick. All I know is that every night I would get into bed about 10 o'clock and uh, I would pray uh, that God would not, that I wouldn't wake up throwing up again. And sure enough, every morning at 3 a.m. I woke up sick as a dog. I couldn't hold down any food. I lost 45 it was somewhere between 45 and 50 pounds. And every night, like I said, every night I crawled into bed and I prayed, God, please don't let me wake up throwing up again. And yet it happened again, over and over and over for two months straight. I asked God, why? Over and over again, why? Why am I going through this? Why won't you heal me? Yet I was still perpetually nauseated and the doctors had no idea why. Finally, after about seven weeks, they found out what was wrong, and I started down the road to healing. Unfortunately, I put on a lot of that weight again, <laughs> and, uh, but we uh, took care of that a year and a half ago. 
Um, maybe you're going through something similar. Maybe you've been praying for healing for someone you know, for Steve Zoak. Maybe you've been healing, praying for healing someone in your family. Maybe you've been praying for someone to come to Christ that you know, uh, a loved one, a spouse, uh, a child. Maybe you've been praying over and over and over again, and you just the answer isn't coming the way you think it should. Maybe the answer isn't coming as fast as you, as you want it to, and you're about to give up. You're about to say, you know what, this prayer business, I don't know anymore. I don't know. Don't give up on prayer. Don't give up on God. God sees you. He's, he knows what you're going through. He is not oblivious. He is not mean. He is not angry with you. He will answer the prayers of his people in his time and according to his will. The question is, will we remain faithful? Will there be faith? Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he comes? In, a, in, a, in the book Point Man, Steve Farrar tells the story of George McCluskey. When McCluskey married and decided to start a family, he decided to invest one hour a day in prayer because he wanted his kids to follow Christ. After a time, he expanded his prayers to include his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. Every day between 11 a.m. and noon, he prayed for the next three generations. As the years went by, his two daughters committed their lives to Christ and married men who went into full-time ministry. The two couples produced four girls and one boy. Each of the girls married a minister, and the boy became a pastor. The first two children born to this generation were both boys. Upon graduation from high school, the two cousins chose the same college and became roommates. During their sophomore year, one of the cousins decided to go into ministry. The other didn't. He undoubtedly felt some pressure to continue the family legacy, but he chose instead to pursue his interest in psychology. He earned his doctorate and eventually wrote books for parents that became bestsellers. He started a radio program heard on more than a thousand stations each day. The man's name was James Dobson. Through his prayers, George McCluskey, his faithful prayers, he affected more than just one family. He affected millions. So what kind of prayers are we praying? What kind of prayers are you praying? Are you persistent in your prayer life? Are you, being, are you, are you persisting? Are you persevering? Phillips Brooks, a minister in Philadelphia who died in 1893, said this, Pray the largest prayers. Pray the largest prayers. You cannot think of prayer so large that God in answering it will not wish you had made it larger. Pray not for crutches, but for wings. Too many times we pray for a need and when it doesn't get answered right away, we give up. That's not what Jesus taught his disciples to do. He taught them to pray and never give up. To be persistent in prayer. And so we must be persistent in prayer. And let us wait upon the Lord who will answer in his perfect time and according to his perfect will. May he give us wisdom. May he give us knowledge. May he give us understanding. May he give us patience. May he help us in all things. Let's pray. Father God, we pray and we pray and we pray. Sometimes things don't go the way they, we think they should. Sometimes things don't get answered the way we think they should. And we are, we're tempted to give up. We get to the end of our rope. We get to the bottom of the ladder. We feel like we're just dangling. Father, for those today who are tempted to give up on prayer, who are losing faith, who are hurting, 
who are struggling, I lift them up to you. And I pray that on this day, you would strengthen them. That you would give them courage. That you would give them persistence and perseverance in prayer. Pray that you would raise them up on wings like eagles. That you would that you would comfort them in their pain. We pray for those who are suffering from illness and disease. Pray for those who are suffering in confusion. and We pray for those who are suffering in chaos, whose lives are battered about. Father, I pray for all these people. In your compassion, in your splachna, heal them. Restore them, make them whole, and help us to never give up. Never, ever give up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.